Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of my just-released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. You can find more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. Today, we're speaking with David Gerson. David Gerson is Director of Marketing for the U.S. and Canada for TK Elevator. He has 20-plus years experience in product management and product development roles, and so has been in marketing for uh, quite a while and has a lot of good experience that we'll be going through today. But more importantly, or maybe uh, uh, certainly a lot more fun is uh, outside of marketing, he has a, a website and a TikTok and everything else is called Revs. I'm sorry, refs need love too. Refs need love too. And uh, so we, if we get a chance, we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And I see him smiling already. So welcome, David. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. So good to have you too. So tell us about yourself. What is your backstory on getting into marketing? You know, funny enough, I, I found some old records. My father just uh, moved permanently from New York down to Florida and in one box, he found my old SAT scores. He sent it to me. I don't know why, but it asked a question about what careers might you be interested in? And the top response that I had on there was marketing. Now, I, I was 17 years old. I didn't know anyone who worked in marketing. My father was a professor. My mother was a, a dance teacher, music teacher. Um, but I kind of always appreciated great storytelling. You know, I loved, you know, jingles, memorized a lot of jingles as a kid from different ads. Uh, and, and really enjoyed that. Uh, I always had a, a gift for gab. I love telling stories. I did a lot of acting uh, growing up. Uh, obviously, my mom was in music, so we did a lot of Broadway. So I, I think marketing uh, was just kind of a, a natural <laughs> extension of, of, of acting, of theater, and a great storytelling. It's always been something I've been passionate about, and I, uh, I kind of fell into it. I started in a, a sales path, if you will, but I was always better at developing the training tools than I was actually being a salesperson. I never had that hunger to be number one. I was always writing the scripts, helping people to come up with different ways to present concepts and presentations to others, developing other people. And that began my path from sales into sales training and then eventually into marketing. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, and storytelling is uh, so important. Now, I'm a, and, and acting is certainly a, a way to tell stories. I'm a tall guy, and I, I really get upset. I did some amateur acting, amateur acting, and I've never been cast as a small guy. <laughs> <laughs> I feel discriminated against. <laughs> you know, I tell you, it's so funny. We always uh, wish for the things that, that we cannot have. My wife is uh, 45 years old and she's only four foot 10. And she was in, uh, she substitutes at the high school that my kids go to. And one of the other teachers asked my daughter, you know, is she your older sister? And so, and my <laughs> wife was offended. I was like, my gosh, you're 45 and being mistaken for a high schooler. 99% of women in this world would die to be in your position. Don't worry about it. All good. All good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely sounds pretty good. So uh, tell us about TK Elevator. It's a fascinating company. So I've always been attracted to companies that make something. And, and, and listen, I, I'm not being disparaging to, you know, software as a service companies or people in, um, you know, banking or finance. Um, but I love companies that make stuff. I've, been, I've now worked over 20 
plus years or so for companies that made flooring, made furniture, made wall systems, and now a company that builds an absolutely critical component of urban infrastructure, your elevator. And a lot of people don't think about it or may not know the brands that are associated in those industries, but it is a massive global business, you know, very, very technical, um, you know, unbelievably high quality and safety standards. As you can imagine, it's the safest form of transportation, even safer than walking. Um, but it's a really cool company. Uh, it was spun off from ThyssenKrupp, which was a massive, uh, huge conglomerate in Germany about two and a half years ago. And it's now a standalone company um, mm. that's poised for significant growth. So I work for uh, the North American business, which is headquartered here in Atlanta. Yeah, awesome. And uh, I uh, drove by your building the other day and uh, man, oh man, that facility, even from the outside is impressive. You can see stuff going on and lights going on. So tell us a little bit about that. It is extraordinary. So here in Atlanta, we've got our kind of administrative headquarters you know, our business headquarters. And then we have this brand new innovation and quality center uh, that is uh, approximately 419 and three quarter inches high. And I know that because the Air Force Base nearby had certain height limits. So it's literally within <laughs> one quarter inch of the 420 foot maximum. Um, but it has 23 elevator shafts within it that are used for uh, testing and product development, um, displays of the company's technology. It's got an unbelievable showroom that we bring different groups from the community, whether it's STEM students, uh, whether it's uh, you know other business groups, uh, customers, certainly. Uh, it's got event space as well. We can host groups as high as 450 people in our ballroom and an unbelievable room up top that spans two levels with, you know, panoramic windows all the way around the best views in Atlanta for events. Um, and it is right next to the battery. It's on the battery property, which is where the Braves development is. It is so uber cool. And we are really proud of that space. It is the tallest test tower in North America. It is really a unique space and it's outrageously sustainable. It has just recently been awarded a lead gold status and uses 100% renewable electricity. So it's a, a pretty cool space to say the least. Yeah, it, uh, that's interesting. And uh, well, we may have to take you up on that space. <laughs> it really sounds pretty cool. Wow. And definitely, I could imagine, you know, if you've got 23 different elevator shafts to, uh, to play around with, it must be a lot of fun. <laughs> It is really cool. I mean, it's kind of some of them are, are public, like we have some panoramic ones where it's all glass around and you can see, you know, the stadium, the surrounding area when you go up. And some of them are interior in the core of the building that are really more used uh, primarily for for test purposes uh, only as we develop and test out new technologies. But it's a absolutely fascinating space. There's nothing like it um, in this hemisphere, really, certainly in North America. So Customers from all around uh, the U.S. and Canada are coming and checking it out, and they are absolutely blown away. Mm, very interesting. So uh, now, when was the building finished? Was it uh, during COVID or was it uh, available right before COVID? That's, that's such a great question. It was actually built during COVID and uh, built during COVID without a single lost time accident. So safety is a really big uh, part of our business, obviously, working with elevators or inherently working at heights and with very heavy loads and electricity. So we're really proud of the fact that it was built without any lost time accidents. And it was built at an outrageously quick pace. It rose from the ground at an average of seven feet per day. Mm. So it, I mean, it, it was something a little over 50 days to go from, 
from really the, the core base of the building all the way to topping out. So built very, very quickly. And then it officially had its grand opening in February of 2022 this year. So it is as brand new as you can get, and it is gorgeous. It also, I forgot to mention earlier, it has one of the largest LED screens uh, in the United States on the side of the building. So millions of people every single year drive down 285 or come to the battery for those Braves games. And they're seeing, you know, our brand on the building and really cool designs going on those LED screens. Um, it's really quite an impressive sight. Yeah. And I have seen all those LEDs. I was, I was amazed and, you know, cause you look at it and you're driving along and you're going, man, how are they doing all that? Very <laughs> impressive. Yeah. And then when you ride up in the elevator, you can't even see it as you go by at the way they've, they've structured and built those LEDs on the side of the building. It doesn't obscure your view uh, when you're inside of the building. So it's really very cool. <laughs> Fascinating. So uh, what kind of challenges did you have now uh, uh, post COVID and uh, keeping the team together and, and uh, other things like that? Well, I'm really fortunate. I, I have not experienced the great resignation. I, I've been with TK Elevator a little less than two years, and I have not lost a single person that we've brought uh, to the team. Um, that was not planned through, say, like a relocation where people didn't come mm. to the, the headquarters here in Atlanta as we consolidated some roles here. Um, but so I haven't experienced that. A, a big thing for us, we have embraced a hybrid work style. So I, I will say that where we have some days in the office and some days home, but we specifically have days in the office where we're all in the office together. I think it's absolutely critical that we have FaceTime. I schedule, I'm, I'm a big you know, face-to-face -face meeting kind of person, especially when I'm having my check-in meetings with my team members. So every single week for my nine direct reports, I'm meeting 30 minutes face-to-face -face with them every single week. And it is a big chunk out of my calendar, which I've got lots of meetings. One day last week, I actually had 13 meetings in one day. It was a new record for me. Um, <laughs> but I am a big believer in face-to-face -face engagement, you know, really being able to check in with people personally and professionally. And I think that's helped keep our squad together. The other thing I would say is trust and empowerment. Uh, the most powerful words, words that I think I can say to a, a member of my team is, I trust you, you know, and then when we're trying to make decisions, what do you recommend? You know, you have more knowledge about this. You've been working on a tighter. What do you think we should do? And trying to put my people in a position where they feel ownership and they're empowered to make decisions and they're empowered to make mistakes if they're going to make a mistake, is a wonderful thing to do. So I feel really great about our team. I feel really great about uh, the culture of this company. Uh, you know, it's one that's, uh, you know, asking people to be an entrepreneur, ask people that, you know, care for each other. Again, safety is really, really important uh, for us. Um, but just, you know, good, humble uh, people. I, I look at the CEO of our business here in North America and our global head of of field uh, operations now, uh, Kevin Lavalli. Uh, the man started out as an elevator service technician 30 years ago and has worked his way up through the business in many different roles. So, you know, again, humble, connected, mm. understands the value of face-to-face -face interactions with customers. Uh, COVID was, was certainly tough, but, you know, your elevator can't stop working. <laughs> People still <laughs> need the elevators uh, working. That business did not uh, slow down very much. And we're off and running a, a great clip right now and very excited for the next year ahead. Yeah, fantastic. Well, so then uh, it sounds like uh, trust 
empowerment for leadership. And then the other one was uh, frequent face-to-face meetings and just getting that one-on-one time or one-on-a-group time to make sure that everything is properly aligned. And then I think I also heard you say uh, allowing people to make mistakes. So uh, absolutely. But but for y- young folks in particular, if you want to keep them with the company, you've got to give them an opportunity to uh, make friends. <laughs> I mean, I think about, you know, my early 20s when I was just starting out, you know, the, the business, the place of business is where you make your mm. friends and your friend group. I mean, that's a really big deal. And if I want to keep people long term, we have to have relationships, uh, not just on my team, but adjacent teams, other teams around. It is a feels great when you come in and you have people that you connect with, not just there at the office, but then outside of the office. I just don't think you can do that on teams. I can't, you know, under, undervalue uh, the, I mean, just the value, I hate to say it again, but the value of a relationship that you create when you meet with something face, face to face, when you have lunch together, mm. when you share a laugh together, um, the pace of business as well, just like I'm walking by and someone's like, Oh, Hey, can I ask you a question? Um, I, yep. I do feel that there is value in an office space and face-to-face. I don't mandate it five days a week. Again, it's you know two, three. It depends on what we have going on. And I also give people flexibility because there are personal things that happen um, you know, in life. But that's part of trust and empowerment. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I see your point. I mean, we're a, we're a small business as well. And, um, and just like we're doing right now, it's either teams, it's Skype, it's WhatsApp, it's, uh, and then it's zoom of course. And, um, uh, and, but nevertheless, to create that, that relationship, the emotional bond, as opposed to just the, the, uh, the transactional bond of, Hey, can you do this? And can you do that? That's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I, I had a great meeting yesterday. We, we had some members of our, our quality team uh, come on down to the marketing group. And we have a wonderful, gorgeous office space with this really cool table shuffleboard. And, I, and it came down. I was like, oh, where should we meet? I was like, hey, let's, let's go play a game. You know, and we had a, a 30 minute meeting. We wound up tying the time. It was, I think it was 11, 11, right? Today when we were out of time, <laughs> um, but over, over table shuffleboard and we built a relationship. Um, we had fun while we were doing it and we accomplished our goals. I mean, we set out, okay, here's the action items. This is what we're going to do. You're doing this. I'm doing this. Great. Okay. Let's go forward. But we did it over a game of table shuffleboard. Um, you know, we were fully present. We were having fun. We were making relationships. And now when I see him next time, it's going to be a smile. It's going to be like, Oh yeah, let's hang out. Let's play again. It's just very different from another team's meeting. Yeah. Yeah. No, how true, how true. And, you know, you can get, and you still can get work done while you're doing that. You can still oh, yeah. talk about some high level stuff. And, you know, even those little tidbits, a couple of sentences here and there can make a, you know, can make a very big difference. So Absolutely. what do you, uh, what kind of advice in the, in this new COVID uh, environment, uh, what kind of advice would you give your marketing folks so that they can be very successful in their careers? Yeah, I think, you know, creating time for FaceTime is critical. Like, let's say you're at a company where you don't have an office anymore. Okay, A lot of agencies have have just given up the office space. Okay, so you don't have an office, but can you go meet with, um, you know, either your boss or your boss's boss, do a one over, you know, for breakfast, go take them out for breakfast, go take them out for coffee. Um, I think for, you know, meeting with clients as well. I mean, yes, a check-in via you know, email and, and text and phone is okay. But, you know, once a quarter, you still need to be getting uh, face-to-face. Again, we go here in Georgia, we've got lots of nice weather and we can go outside and do those things, but I highly recommend that. 
Um, and I would also just encourage if you are going to be via distance and, and this is something that I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't mandate it, but we always have our camera on for our, for meetings. I, mm. I'm sorry. You can't show up to a meeting, have your camera off, sit there silent and not be engaged. It's just not okay. Um, you've got to have that camera on. You've got to be participating. You have to be engaged. Um, you know, when we have our stand-up meetings or check-in meetings, you know, we randomly, you know, you call the next person to go, keeping everyone on their toes. Um, you got to keep people going. I, I really worry about people who are always working from home um, and just via teams that there's this burnout. They just get worn out. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a problem. I, I would also, if I could just throw in one more thing, Guy, I am a big proponent of, you know, healthy body, healthy mind. Uh, so when I am working from home and, and I've got those days, I am working out every single morning. Um, and I'm taking a walk during the day to, to kind of clear my mind and get away from these screens for a little while so I don't burn out. Yeah. And I think that uh, that and I don't know, I don't even think that's called work life balance. That's just work and, uh, you know, kind of health balance as opposed yeah. to work life, because the life then is also kind of what you're doing with, uh, you know, refs need love, too, which <laughs> we'll talk about in a minute, but not yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So then um, one of the one of the challenges and especially for a B2B business yeah. is how do you sell the value of marketing to your peers and to your superiors? How do you sell that? Hey, we invested this million dollars. And we actually, you know, drove value for the company. How do you how do you do that at uh, TK Elevator? Yeah, well, I don't use abstract terms. Uh, number one, I talk about ringing the cash register. I talk about growing the business. I talk about exponential growth and productivity and efficiency gains. I, you know, I, I talk about, you know, how we're going to make the, you know, the ten thousand touches we need to do to create the, you know, the five thousand engagements to get the two thousand opportunities to get the. 1000 quotes to get the you know 150 closed sales i talk about it in terms of the sales funnel and where marketing is in that sales funnel uh, if you're just talking in, in very abstract terms about you know brand awareness which which brand awareness matters there's nothing wrong with brand awareness and consideration um and things of that nature you talk about just oh we're going to do social media posts or we're going to do press releases I, I feel it's very easy for people to you know blow those things off or just pencil them out of a budget. If you talk in terms of, you know, hitting the company's sales goals and you talk about specifically, again, the strategies, tactics, technologies that we're going to leverage to be able to hit those sales goals, people are like, oh yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, we need to do that. Because um, if not, they're just going to say, okay, how many salespeople do we have? What's the average they do? Okay, we need to hire 10 more salespeople. It's like, ah, gosh, I've seen it so many times in my career. But if you're like, okay, let's look at the 90 salespeople we have or the 100 or 500 or whatever, and let's see how we can make them 25% more effective, mm. that we can touch those customers, you know, 100,000 more times. You know, if you have to make eight or nine touches to get a sale, you know, an average in a, in a B2B, you know, sales context, how can we automate you know, five or six of those touches and engage the salesperson, you know, in that sales process to get us further along to that sale. I mean, that's, that's, that's where I would encourage people to be thinking and talking about, um, to be able to, you know, hit the goals of the organization. Um, that is, that's a really big deal for me. I have always felt that marketing serves itself, 
when we are closer to the customer or specifically talking about the customer and how we're mm. converting more customers and participating in the selling process. Yeah, agreed. And that that closeness. Uh, now, I will admit, uh, one of our clients uh, during COVID, uh, obviously, they weren't allowed to visit anymore. And so it, everything went to a Zoom meeting. And so they were doing yeah. Zoom calls and, and what have you. And so their, their one-on-one uh, face calls with their clients were now mm-hmm. uh, virtual. And mm-hmm. now that it's kind of post-COVID, uh, they're not 100% in person right. again, but there's a certain mix in there. Did you uh, do any uh, analysis on uh, on how well the one type of call in person would work versus the other type of call uh, virtual? And do you see any trends now moving forward as we're all kind of getting back uh, working uh, maybe at least in sales in a face-to-face environment? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any replacement for a face-to-face interaction. I'm just going to say that straight up. There's none. But, you know, customer preferences towards self-service, you know, to, to not having to ever talk to a salesperson is dramatically on the rise. And that came out of COVID. We had a, a culture shift, which created a technology shift, which has mm. just created a whole new paradigm where customer experience maps are very different today. Uh, And customer experience technology and self-service technology have to be an integral part of what we do in creating customer experience journeys for our customers. So investments there are critical. I don't think it's optional. And it is changing a lot of ways that companies have to do business, especially in a B2B space. I mean, the data as to what people were willing to spend online without having a customer, you know, face-to-face meeting before COVID was, you know, it's pretty low. It was very, you know, people maybe would spend $10,000. I mean, now some of the data that you see coming out is that people are willing to spend 40, 50, $60,000 on a transaction without meeting anyone face-to-face just from doing their own research online, watching demos online, maybe interacting with someone on a Zoom call and then signing a contract digitally. Uh, so it's uh, it, it has dramatically changed how we do business uh, for the future, and it has to be uh, you know taken consideration without a doubt. And I, I think it's, I, and I wouldn't say it's just a Gen Z thing or a Gen Y thing. I think it's all generations uh, that yeah. are experiencing the shift and that are looking for more alternative ways to do business. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, certainly, it seemed like the Gen Z and the Gen Ys were probably more willing to do things online as opposed to face to face. Excuse me. But what I've found as well is that uh, now the millennials are, you know, they're just as interested in saving that time. I mean, they still want to have the relationship, but you know, it, whereas before you might have had a two-hour call face to face, now you can get that done in maybe forty-five minutes. And actually, I found, too, that what you used to be able to do in a real one-on-one kind of a call in, let's say, an hour, those, that time is now 30 minutes. You right. know, I don't know, I don't know how that's happening. You know, are we just learning more online or are we just taking more for granted or, you know, what's going on there? I don't know. I, everything has accelerated. There's no doubt. You know, our, our patience is worn thin. The amount of meetings that we have in a day is just multiplied astronomically. Um, but also the way we make decisions today as well. There's so many more people that have to sign off on a decision, especially at a large 
uh, company. Uh, quite honestly, one meeting face-to-face with someone with four people is not going to cut it. I need presentations. I need documentation. I need case studies. I need spreadsheets that that show me the data. And then I have to circulate that amongst a number of different people. Digital is the is generally the only way I'm going to get that done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's a good point. And and uh, although I will admit, uh, you know, it used to be you'd have these email trails. <laughs> there might be fifty or sixty or a hundred different entries in there, and nobody could follow it after a while. But no, you know that all. that does though that that does start a conversation, I think, and uh, that you can get a lot of the nitty gritty, smaller details out of the way before you actually come to the big decision as to what you're trying to achieve. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see as the biggest challenges now facing marketers and maybe even uh, B2B marketers versus consumer marketers coming out of COVID and then just generally moving forward? I, I think the, the technology landscape just gets more and more complex. I mean, all of the different plugins, all the different apps, all of the, you know, the network arch- architecture behind the scenes. Uh, again, the, the, the turnover rates of those people who are managing all of those systems. Um, you know, this person knew that technology. This person knows this one. They're no longer here anymore. I mean, that brain drain is, is, is challenging. And, the, you know, as the marketing director, sometimes I feel like I'm, you know, the, the chief information officer of my company. I mean, that's <laughs> how many different systems that our team has to manage to do our job. Um, you, you, there, you just don't have the luxury not to get into that conversation, truly understand how your automated marketing system is going to work with your customer experience system. That's going to work with your CRM system. That's going to work with the invoicing system. That's going to work with the customer portal system and like all of these different things that you, that you do, that you have to do to do business. Um, you do have to spend time really appreciating, you know, how they work together, how they're going to communicate, you know how good your data is, how you're going to manage all of those, those systems. I mean, that is a, that is a big difference from where I was even 10 years ago. I think about 10 years ago and the types of campaigns we were doing then. Yeah. Maybe there was a little social media, some Facebook or something like that, and a little Twitter and, and we'd have an email campaign. And now there are so many more items. It's so much more comprehensive. Um, I mean, it's, it's great. We can do a lot more. Um, we have the opportunity to touch customers in so many different ways, uh, but you really need to spend the time to understand, appreciate those systems, uh, the opportunities they provide and how they all work together and then communicate that internally, you know, helping the other groups within your organization understand why they're so critical and why we have to uh, do this at this time. And it's a, it's a lot, a lot of my job. And I think it's a lot of my peers job is just uh, doing that dance. Yeah, I, and you, you're definitely talking about a, a pretty important trend because uh, in a lot of the reports that I've seen that for, you know, mid-sized to large businesses, the marketing IT infrastructure is larger than the company IT infrastructure. That's and right. just because of all those reasons that you mentioned and getting all that interoperability and getting it right and making sure that everything connects up so that you can really do a significantly better job in your in your marketing activities is, is critical. It's critical yeah. nowadays. Absolutely. The personalization and intimately knowing your customer and creating customized experience for them based on their interactions with your business or where they are in the funnel and the pipeline is, is key. I mean, customers yeah. want to feel like you know them. You know, if you understand what their needs are, you anticipate their needs, you speak in their language, um, 
that's that's what it's about and that's what separates really great companies from people who are just dabbling yeah absolutely so then uh let's talk about trends what kind of trends do you see i mean obviously that those are the challenges that you got but now what kind of trends uh that you see in marketing that are facing you over the next couple of years well i mean i i, I can't not talk about TikTok in some ways. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 if you're if you're a marketer today and you're not on TikTok, and I don't care how old you are, people need to understand that the average age of a TikTok user in the United States is over 30 years old. Okay, it, you know it started as musically, it started as a, something for you know tweens and teens, you know doing silly dances, and now it is the most popular website in the world. People need to understand that. People spend more time on TikTok than any other website in the world. And it has dramatically changed how people tell stories and communicate um, for, you know, at least the next, you know, five to seven years out. Um, it's raw. It's, it's authentic. Uh, sometimes it's polished. Sometimes it's not polished. Um, it's told from very personal perspectives on a whole range of subjects. And it's fast. It's really fast. I mean, crazy fast. I mean, I think we used to talk about YouTube videos being a, three minutes was a target. You know, most TikToks are less than a minute. Many of the most successful TikToks are less than 15 seconds. Um, so it is a whole different way of, of communicating to audiences. And we need to be, you know, conscious of that as marketers. Uh, we need to be really conscious of how are people taking in information? You know, what's the format of how they want to get that information? Um, you know, who do they trust? Where do they go? So that we can be really, uh, you know, really good stewards of our, our marketing budgets. Um, I think that's important. So I, I, I want to say TikTok is a thing and it's something we need to appreciate. And, and you know, as we've discussed, I mean, I'm, I'm deep into that world. Um, I would also just say again, that customer experience, uh, online customer experience and customer self-service is, is the now and the future. Uh, that the that there are many people. I mean, I know. Like, and do you even want to leave a voicemail for someone anymore? No, you text them. It's instantaneous. Yeah. You know, if I'm trying to find someone on a website, maybe I wanted to call someone, but there's no phone number. I do an instant chat. You know, it's like it's. I need it now. I want to be able to do things now. I want to be able to take care of it online. I want to get my account information. I want to pay my bill. I want to buy what I want to buy. I want to do my research on my past orders. Like it is just all of those things. Is I want to do it now, twenty four seven instantaneously online, whether it's via my phone or via my laptop or via uh, an iPad sitting by the beach someplace in the, in the Caribbean, they want to do it now and they want to do it online and they want it less and less have someone actually call and sell them on something. So, I mean, I think those are probably the, the two biggest things that, mm. that we need to be, you know, very conscious of. And, and I, again, I would just, the last thing, and you brought it up earlier, it's just, you know, as a marketer, make sure that you're uh, you know, explaining the value of what you do, you know, to your management and leadership team in, in ways that they can understand. Help them hit those growth numbers that they want to hit. Stay really close to your, your sales partners, making sure that they understand how you can make them more successful. Um, we are, yes, we are kind of a separate part of the organization in marketing, but uh, I love the phrase smarketing. You know, it's, it's sales and marketing working together mm -hmm. to accomplish the goals <laughs> of the company. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I like your point about, uh, you know, I want it now. I want my money and I want it now. I can't remember what what brand it was that advertised that, but I want my money and I want it now. You know, and it's interesting too, I think, and and that makes, it it really dovetails in with what happened. Uh, You know, maybe if you go back 10 years ago, you would expect a company to be open, you know, nine to five or eight to five or whatever it was, and you could call them up or you, you know, and you'd have that window and you'd get somebody on the line. And now with the internet and then with post-COVID, well, with COVID having driven us to doing everything virtual for those year, that year and a half or two years, now it's, it is absolutely 24-7. And I want to be able to get to an answer. I want to find it on the, on the website or I just want to chat somebody or whatever it is. And I want to get it now. And then, you know, to your point as well with TikTok, I mean, 15 seconds to get uh, you know, to get some entertainment. Now yeah. I will it entertainment and knowledge. Cause I think right. a lot of yes. people, you know, yes. are, there's so much yes. you can learn on TikTok, oh. And, uh, and I hate to say it. I I've been on, you know, I, I try not to go on there too often because you end up spending an hour oh. and you go, where did oh. that hour go? <laughs> oh, that, let me tell you that, that, that machine that they built, that algorithm is so addictive. It is it is straight up brain candy, and, yep. and it's, yep. it's evil. I, I have a, a a a warning that comes up on my TikTok. You know, if I've been there for thirty minutes, it's like, do you want to continue? And I, and I, <laughs> I, like, I don't. I'm like, no, they've sucked too much of my time. Like, no, no, no. Yep. I, I, I won't do it before bed. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a big yeah. reader. I, I I turn my electronics off. You know, I try yep. to do at least 30, 45 minutes before I, I shut my eyes and I try and read. But otherwise, I mean, you can just get sucked in and and that's what you're saying it's is it's it's not just i mean yes there are some funny dances but that's not what comes up on my feed i mean i've got you know history and i've got cooking and i've got marketing and i've got leadership and and as you know i'm huge in the in the soccer world and the right the world of international football so that's that's what comes up on my feed but it, it learns you and man it just it takes you in it is unbelievable what they've built there yeah, it really is, and it uh, and uh, and I think they 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 know it, and they know how to feed that addiction. It's uh, just like crack, I guess. <laughs> it, it is for the crack for the brain, no doubt. Yeah, that's no for sure. So you uh, you brought up soccer. Uh, let's talk uh, a couple of minutes on your refs need love too. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been a grassroots. So that's uh, what we would call a referee who's not a professional uh, here in the United States and other uh, parts of the world uh, for seven years. So I've probably refed over about a thousand games and I've watched many thousands more, uh, but I, I fell in love with the sport when I was coaching my kids when they were growing up. And then we lived in the Netherlands for a few years and I lived through World Cup 2014 uh, while living in the Netherlands where the entire country shuts down you know, <laughs> when, when they're playing a World Cup. I mean, literally the country shuts down, the manufacturing line shuts down when the Dutch are on uh, in the World Cup. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. And then when I got back here to the U.S., my son was 10 and he wanted to start refereeing. And I had, I was a rugby referee in college. I played rugby uh, for Division One schools at that time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was going to drive him to the field. So I'm like, I'm going to do it, too. And so I, I became a, a soccer referee and I fell in love with it. I I. I don't have um, any other hobbies. I do some vegetable gardening. I, I got that. Uh, but my hobby is uh, being a soccer referee. I love the the mental focus that I have to have to be on that pitch. I love having all the responsibility on me. Uh, I, I, my, my high school yearbook quote 
was it's better to stand alone for the right reasons than be together for the wrong. Uh, it's mm -hmm. better to stand alone for the right reasons than be together for the wrong. I've always been one of those people that wants to take a stand, whether it be an unpopular stand or whatever the stand is, but I, I, I like being that person. I was president of my rugby team in college, uh, which is, I mean, it's a bunch of mutants running around, so it's, it's hard to be their leader. <laughs> um, but I was a team captain and president of rugby in college. I love being a soccer you know, hey, uh, David. Yeah. Yep. Uh, sorry, your mic just went off or something like that. Oh, it no. got really, really small, really uh, low. Oh, yeah, it's better now. now. Yep, it's better now. Yep. I'm sorry. I will. I will just uh, go back for a second there. So yep. I, I love, I love the mental focus of the game, and then I love the physical aspect. The fact that I'm every time I'm on the soccer pitch, I run between three and five miles, depending if I'm on the line or in the center. So it's you know mental focus. It's that physical. Um, exercise that I get, I find it to be very healthy. Yeah. Well, uh, and I loved soccer. I coached my son for a long time until he knew more than I did. <laughs> and then I said, okay, I got to stop. <laughs> and uh, it was definitely, you know, talk about work-life balance and, uh, yeah. and then the exercise that you get, it was just awesome. And I yeah. just being outside for an hour or two hours for practice yeah. in a game and, oh, it was awesome. So fantastic. Yeah. Well, um, I, would, I just want to say, so that the, the funny thing for a marketer, Okay, so the story of a soccer referee is not often told. <laughs> so I'm serious. So, I mean, the, the, the soccer players, the Ronaldos, the Messes, the Mbappes, you know, all these people, everyone knows everything about them, right? But the people who stand in the middle of the pitch, you know, that, that third team of referees who are part of the game, if there is no ref, yeah. there is no game, there is no professional league without them. And they make a, you know, a pittance. They make less than one week's wages of a top player <laughs> for an entire year. I mean, if you're on Manchester United, you're making two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars a week. The top referees are making one hundred and forty thousand the entire year. But no one ever knows their story, and they are some of the most hated. And you know, just absolutely so much, you know, vile stuff is thrown their direction. It is an impossible job. Uh, to do, you know, well, it is almost literally impossible to get those decisions right. And their story was not being told. So, you know, about a year ago, I started, you know, started a TikTok, you know, just kind of for fun to tell a little bit of the referee's perspective. And it has has resonated that that's a story and a perspective that players and coaches and other refs don't get to hear. We're, we're usually on our own. We're by ourselves. We get no training whatsoever. No one understands us. And so it's been fun to tell as a marketer to tell that story. Yeah. How interesting. And, you know, the, the other thing too, is a uh, one call from a ref can change the outcome of the game. So it's, it's so funny you say that. So I would tell you that, yes, there could be a key match decision from a referee. Um, but, you know, the referee makes 300 decisions in a game on average mm. in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we only see maybe about 25 that result in a foul or maybe, you know, you get throw-in decisions or something in nature or maybe there's a penalty kick. Um, but I, I often, you know, you'll go online after a game and there'll be people just like throwing all this hate at a referee for one call. Mind you, that team had 30 shots on goal, you know, or 30 shots, 20 of them didn't even go on goal. You know, they, they missed tons of shots. They only had 60% passing. You know, there was a lot that they did that ended up in that team losing. It wasn't just that one call from the ref. 
But, you know, we, because we are an easy person to blame, you know, the referee, we are that person with that responsibility to make that call. You know, the decisions every single mm-hmm. day, every single time there's a game, people love to talk about the ref because they, they don't know what we know. They don't know the laws of the game. They're not willing to put on that jersey and stand there. They think it's so easy. They haven't done it before. Um, so it's, it's fun, honestly, for me to be able to provide that, that perspective, to be able to look at a call that happened and explain, well, here's what the referee saw. Here's what the laws of the game say. Here's why that decision was made. And players and coaches and other referees appreciate that there's finally someone who's speaking up on their behalf. Yeah. Well, and uh, there, uh, I was never wanting, never, ever wanting to be a ref. That was, there is, I don't know if I could handle that contention. No, no one ever does, man. No one ever does. No. And then to your point is, uh, you know, you kind of know the rules, but you know, I, I, you know, I've glanced at a rule book and there's one, you know, we looked at it at one point, but never really opened it up. And then, you know, and I think that the hardest one, especially in soccer is, uh, is offsides. I'll tell you, I can't figure that one out. I mean, I know how it works. I know what it is, but it is impossible sometimes to see that. No, if, if I have to ask someone to find offside, you know, parents, you know, who I'm mm. a fellow parent of my, my kid's team. I did that last year as for the TikTok. And I asked these, these guys who've been watching their kids play for 15 years to find offside. And they're like, oh, you know, and then, and then, you know, well, what are the considerations for offside? Even if you know kind of what it is, well, what are all the considerations when it is offside and not an offside offense? And like, oh. same thing with handball, you know, people are like handball. And I'm like, you know, what are the considerations for that handball? Why do you say it's handball? And, and there's like, you know, there's 15 different things that as a referee, especially as I get into semi-professional matches and, and much higher leagues, MLS next and things like that. Because it's all these things that I need to know in my brain to be able to adjudicate that game to the laws of the game. Yeah. No one ever knows. They just like to blame the ref and yell at them yep. and yep. Yep. say awful things. Yeah, exactly. Well, and with that, <laughs> a positive note for the refs, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But uh, with that, then uh, let's uh, let's close. Thank you so much, David. Really good to have you yep. today. No, and, it's my uh, pleasure. And learn about uh, TK Elevator and then refs need love too. And yes, they do. They <laughs> Probably do. more than the rest of us. <laughs> but uh, actually, if you want to learn more, uh, tkelevator.com is the website uh, for the, uh, and there's some interesting uh, images on there. And I can't remember, there was some videos of the new building. And then refs need love too. If you're interested in soccer, I coached my son for about 10 years and it was, it was awesome. And we love watching the world cup and everything like that. And I, and what's your uh, TikTok handle for uh, at, refs? Need- yep. At refs need love too. When you go on TikTok, it's crazy how big it's gotten. When you just type in refs, I will be the first thing that pops up. You type in <laughs> referee and I'm the first name that pops up. It, it, I'm telling you, it blows people away. Like when I travel or, uh, I have friends or, you know, people that are my age, 47, and they tell their teenagers. And I mean, I, when I go to a soccer field I, and literally it, people will be like, oh, my gosh, that's a TikTok ref. That's a TikTok ref. Like it's <laughs> it's gotten it's gotten really big. It's very funny. How cool. How cool. Well, with that, uh, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing. Please visit Marketing Machine dot prorelevant.com and download the first chapter of my book and many other valuable excerpts. And don't forget to sign up for more episodes on this podcast series. And if you like this podcast, please rate it five stars. David, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
It was my pleasure. Anytime.